Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we take a listen to tracks on Spotify using the Forgotify web app that have, until this point, never been played. And I'm Ravi, and I did this right on the first try, and I'm always joined by Eric and Matt. Hey, everyone. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Oh, you sound so excited, man. It's 2021. <laughs> Everything's changed. Time Come is on. just a concept. We still have not escaped this hell that we live in. Starting off on a positive note. Woo, <laughs> <laughs> New Year. Can't wait to see uh, the, the, you know, the COVID, COVID Valentine's Day cards right around the corner. Am I right, fellas? I've been ah. saying this. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I, I realized it when... People were coming up with uh, COVID Halloween costumes. I was like, yep, we're like half a year away from the, not quarter, quarter of a year away. I mean, what, what will that even look like? Roses are red, violets are blue. I've got COVID. Let me give it to you. <laughs> like, That's I don't... good, Eric. Yay. Well, I'm, I'm just, I was just thinking of like the cards, right? There's going to be yeah. so many uh, Valentine's Day cards that are somehow about like social distancing and Valentine's Day or like, you know, wearing a mask and, you know, Valentine's Day, stuff like that. Right. And just for any concerned viewers at home, I don't really have COVID and I don't <laughs> want to give it to anyone. Please stay inside and wear a mask. Yeah. Don't send your letters before we get yeah. any concerned calls. Eric, did you really just think of that right now? Right now. Off the dome. That's why they keep me around. It's literally the only reason. Right. That's in your file. Rhyming. Yep. It just says. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine that on your like, you know, your resume, like in the, I don't know, isn't there a section for it's like skills that aren't related to the job you're applying to, right? Yeah, or whatever, like additional, I don't know. It's like rhyming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says here, you know, all your colors and shapes. <laughs> Not even like very good at rhyming. Just like rhyming, rhyming is a rhymes. skill. <laughs> I have the capacity to. All right, so should we take it away with our first selection? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Starting the new year off right, as we always do, with a song from the Revolutionary War. So this recording is called The Committees of, or well, the recording itself is called The American Revolution in Song and Ballad, and the group is called The Committee of Correspondence. Now, as you might understand or, or might assume from the title, this is a, another Folkway Smithsonian record. If you listen to episode 15, Eric brought one of those uh, last time. So Smithsonian Institute also has sort of this uh, folk record company that sort of catalogs a lot of different folk music and historical music and things like that. So I'll read a little bit about this album. So this collection reflects the American Revolution through songs which are both authentic in content and musically listenable which is a ringing endorsement, uh, <laughs> and generate the same feeling of enthusiasm today that was evident in the colonies 200 years ago. Uh, so the musical group, the Committees of Correspondence, is named for a colonial group of revolutionary radicals that disseminated information among the colonies, especially at the beginning of the revolution. And you'll probably hear um, sort of that source material or the, the related uh, happenings being referenced in this particular song, which is called To the Ladies. Of economy boast, let your pride be the most to show clothes of your own, make and spin. What if homespun may say be not quite so gay as brocades be not in a passion? 
So, as you can hear from our small sample there, this is a song that's kind of addressed to the, you know, well, to the ladies. To the, this one's for the ladies. Uh, and <laughs> sort of getting into the history a little bit, of which I am far from an expert. It's sort of encouraging this, uh, well, sense of economy of this not using London or, or British-made particularly fashion, it mentions, and sort of really rallying this idea of an American identity or, like, at the very least this support for the revolution and uh, autonomy yeah and uh well the singer i should say I, I looked up her name is dorothy o'donnell and i was not able to find anything else about her specifically but i did want to get her name because history aside i i really like her voice i think it's quite lovely i like the little ornaments especially but anyway as far as music is concerned this is uh, uh like it says a, an old song or an old kind of historical song that's been redone in more modern folk arrangements. And you can hear a lot of the hallmarks we see in a lot of the kind of folk music that is of this time period or older sorts of styles of songs. Really sort of regular set phrases, right? So this one, I think, is like two measures, two measures, and then three measures. And something about that... It sticks in my brain a lot. I like it. I don't know. There's something about it that I find so satisfying. It's probably why we hear things like that in so much music. But what do you guys think? What are your impressions of this one? Uh, no, yeah, I liked... I really... <laughs> just so, for those at home, Eric and Matt were just staring at each other longingly. <laughs> Through the webcam. But, no, I agree with, like, everything you said. The first thing I really liked was about her voice. Like, yeah, there was a little the little ornaments and like kind of how the ornaments make sense given like this is period english i guess right i believe so i i could, that's what you could call it right or like old english something something about it right I even think like just the, using vernacular that was more prominent in the time yeah but rather like than a, a specific way of speaking sorry go ahead yeah where's like um something that was spinning stuff like that and like you can you can hear not only like she's she's kind of reshaping her her vowels and stuff but like allowing that come through like the musical performance which is just it's it's really nice like she's a nice pure tone like a very nice clean tone to her voice and like uh i don't know what do you think of the was there not a lot of vibrato but like just a little bit right yeah it's almost the some of those ornaments are so so quick you could almost think it's like Quavering so, or yeah, quavering. sort of like a vibrato just on, on on that particular part. But I agree, it reminds me a lot of like the type of voice you hear um, in Baroque songs and vocal music, right? Sure. Or, 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 you know, the no vibrato is kind of the standard. Yeah, like pseudo, pseudo yeah. straight tone. Right. Yeah, right. straight tone. That's the word I was trying to think of. Because I don't yeah, know. We've I had think that conversation in the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, when but we listen something... to historical music... And when you perform historical music, yeah. You, yeah. you have to be, vocalists have to be cognizant of whether vibrato was in style um, and what kind of voice was being used. You know, not every moment in musical history, people were using like their big chest voice, right? Like the voices that we kind of use in opera and, you know, like art song, right? Yeah. Like the style of singing that we associate with opera and leader is... You know, not everything's bel canto. Bel canto is a very bel specific, yeah. specific style of singing that developed around a very specific time. I mean, I think, I I feel like it was um, Roomful of Teeth. They talked about this in a 
uh, I don't know, I don't think it was a master class, but kind of just like one of their concerts where they, they talk a bit more between pieces. Sure. They talked about like, you know, if you approach music and try to have as little, you know, Western classical bias as possible, bel canto is as much a, like an extended technique as anything else. It requires yeah, like truly. intense training and like, you know, you have to learn to sing that way. I mean, what pop singer knows how to sing bel canto, right? And on the flip still, side, like how many opera singers are terrible pop singers? It's just, uh, it's definitely something you train specifically for. And certainly isn't, you know, I feel like maybe that's part of the problem with classical music in general is just the sense of superiority as if like, you know, it's been established and figured out and like, this is the way that we do things, right? Or even the, maybe not superiority, but like that classical music practice is like the default, you know? Right. Yeah, that's probably more akin uh, to what I'm after. But yeah, it's, uh, no, she's got a nice voice and she's using it well. And I, I don't really have too much to add. Like it's it's a cool track and Robbie knows that I'm a sucker for these kinds of things. Uh, the the <laughs> historical songs, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah <just a> sucker <laughs> in general. You got me. Yeah, just the historical stuff brought, brought to life and given new voice and brought to a new generation. It's, it's interesting if if nothing else it's very very interesting and I, in I, this I like, case it's um, a good performance too yeah i like the comparisons robbie and i were kind of coming up with like sounds a little like this sounds a little like that i think um for me the thing it, it took me a minute to like grasp it was the the descending consequent phrase so like kind of the end of the sentence maybe it it reminds me of the the melody from stairway to heaven like on the words she's she's buying she's buying a stairway like that descending scale uh, and then cadencing at the end of the the phrase kind of like that and like it happens over and over again in that song and uh, i think a little bit maybe also the the scale or like the mode it's it's for me it was reminiscent of and this is a little bit further a stretch what did, what did i say green sleeves green sleeves yeah you said green sleeves and you know thinking about it both those are well at least for usually for green sleeves, I think those both have the same phrase structure because I was just singing Stairway to Heaven in my head because we were sort of talking about if it had the same like kind of phrase structure. And I think it does. Two measures of three, four, two measures of three, four, then three measures in three, four. And I think that's another thing that really, because I, I agree with that comparison and I think it really kind of matches up like that in terms of the phrase structure and in terms of that end of the phrase, that descending line. Yeah, it's interesting. Right? I kind of wonder when we phased out because I'm I'm really you know hyper fixating on like mode here and like melody, and the thing because you know I'm I'm a big music theory nerd, the thing that also really stood out right away is and like, a the big melody, nerd in general. Big nerd in general, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Robbie. Of course. What I noticed was that the the melody uses uh, uh, raised scale degree seven, and we're in like a minor key, so we have a leading tone. I think in most modern pop and folk music, music tends to that music tends to avoid a strong leading tone, where instead it's a natural minor kind of sound with a do te do instead of a do ti do kind of kind of sound happening there. And I, I wanted to pick your brain about this too, Robbie, because like you know so much of pop music has its origins in, in jazz. What do you think is, is kind of like this movement away from? the leading tone from natural minor in favor of like a, the softer or uh, the softer natural minor kind of sound? Well, that's a good question. And, it, you know, it's something I was thinking about uh, when you when you brought that up before uh, over the course of our, you know, this recording. 
because uh, a lot of jazz music, like you think in the development of bebop, right? It's playing changes. It's all functional harmony. I mean, it's like not quite not the same as like a Bach chorale, but it's very much thinking in terms of leading tones and in you know two five one predominant dominant and resolving to different keys. And then you get into things like modal jazz, which are, you know, uh, as the name suggests, more focused on the different modes. And then getting into things like, I don't know, the way that they put together a lot of pop music, it, it's 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 almost, I'm going to probably butcher this, but I, I, I remember reading a ringing endorsement, right? But I remember reading something a little bit about some theorist whose name I don't remember, who contended that the way, uh, yeah, I'm bringing so much <laughs> to the table, who contended that the way we talk about music or, or some angle of music theory uh, doesn't quite work for pop music, because pop music, there's a lot of like cycles of four chords, right? That's sort of the co most common way of, of structuring things musically and oftentimes those don't end the phrase on what you might think of as the tonic or or you know the one chord it's kind of like especially in pop music a lot of time you're ending up on like the four chord and there's lots of times like f g f g f something like that you know so it doesn't it's like it's using all the chords that you might find in the key of c major but it's not using them functionally or in functional harmony uh so i think a lot of what this does I don't know necessarily why that might be the case. Maybe it has something to do with, well, just being more straightforward in terms of structuring it. You can have four chords and have a lot of movement and a lot of development in the song just using those four distinct sort of areas. Maybe it allows you to think more about the vocal line or the melody. And I think as a consequence of that, using a minor mode, like using some kind of Dorian mode that they're playing lots of times, usually like, jazz chords under or something like that and so you've got the lack of the sharp seventh there or it's this kind of like four different chords where something like the pentatonic scale fits a lot better than the the seventh the, the sharp seventh that makes sense I, I yeah i would probably latch on more to the the pentatonic idea because there's just yeah something about like i don't know many people would argue that the pentatonic scale is like the most natural sounding scale or something like that hmm. I don't know. That whenever we get into conversations about like the most natural or the most easy, I feel like that's always so subjective. Yeah, like okay, but and I guess the, there's arguments you can make because the pentatonic scale like shows up all over the world, right? So that, yeah, I that... think that's the main one that like most people kind of argue. Like it's it occurs like the most in nature that like every or right. most musical cultures have the pentatonic scale. And I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of buy it. I kind of don't. I don't. Maybe I'm just being overly skeptical. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had more to add to this conversation. You know, I'm definitely not a huge theory nerd, but it's it's super interesting. What do we say, Matt? You want to take it away for the next uh, next tune we're going to listen to? Sure. So I'm going to, you know, continue my streak of, of sad boy music, apparently. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. What can I, what can I say? I'm just, I'm just a always a fan of of like this this kind of music and um so this week i've got the track is called the air we breathe and it's by the band nothing ever stays off of their acoustic ep so that's kind of like a not in their main line of discography on spotify and i believe uh this band there it says here i couldn't find much about them but they're an american rock band from Atascadero, California. I probably completely screwed that up. They began in 
2004, and uh, their most recent album came out in May of 2015. Oh, so wow. they appear okay. to be a little bit inactive, but yeah, they, they seem like they had a solid run at the very least. So here's the track, The Air We Breathe. Fingers So, you know, for, for me, this one is very nostalgic, again, kind of, of like music I listened to in high school, I think, early college, um, especially Death Cab for Cutie. Sure. Yeah. What's the, I don't, I don't remember which album, maybe Narrow Stairs, but there's this one track, I think it was called Brothers on a Hotel Bed. Yeah, that's not, um, I have the album right here hang on Man. it's like one of the only cds i own it's uh, it may have been transatlanticism it's not it's not it's um i'm just gonna look it up where is it oh it, that I was know. on plans wow yeah it's on plans that was on plans okay um yeah death cab was like one of my favorite bands for such a long i mean still is uh yeah, and they're still band. making they're still making albums which is insane yeah they're like ben, ben gibbert's like 40 something now yeah he's gotta be like he's gotta be oh yeah, like how old he is yeah yeah. Ben Gibbard, yeah. But anyway, yeah, they've been doing it a long time. Yeah, this like it's got that kind of. I mean, obviously because it's called the acoustic EP, the album, but it's got that very nice kind of like soft rock kind of sound to it, and like I just love that chord progression. A lot of my favorite songs use that chord progression for some reason. It's really nice, and uh, I think I mentioned to Robbie earlier that that Austin that piano ostinato, just that repeating pitch right in the piano, right, yeah, yeah. it creates like some really nice tensions and resolutions across like against the vocal line and uh yeah what what, what do you guys think uh eric you want to start us off yeah like you this is definitely the kind of music i listened to early high school maybe even late junior high you know we talked a bit about this last last episode because it definitely fits into that same well not quite the same genre but it's close right they kind of blend into each other yeah. The last episode we listened to this sort of pop punk kind of thing and this is obviously softer than that um soft rock's a good genre descriptor but at this point it all kind of starts blending together right the the lines start getting blurred pretty quickly and it i was sort of wondering this after the last episode as well how these bands choose to kind of classify themselves right in this case they they consider themselves rock right like american rock i think that's like what they said in their bio but would anyone else really describe them that way? Like, I'm not sure I would, you know, like rock is such a broad term and the vocals are so, this style of vocals specifically um, was so popular during this time. I don't want to call them whiny, but. No, but you wouldn't be too far from the truth. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, yeah. a, there's a quality to the sound where they always just sound so down about something, right? Like, or they're always just, one step away from sounding like they're complaining about something, right? About to cry on the verge of tears. Yeah, and it was so ubiquitous with this kind of, this style of music that, you know, I wouldn't consider it rock, but I don't know what I'd consider it. You know, where would I, where would it fit in? I don't know. Um, it was just something I was musing about over the over the week since the, the song last week. 
Um, but really no, cool. he's, the guy sounds great. Like, I mean, uh, everything sounds super clean. Even though there's not much happening in the keyboard, it still, like, adds something. The guitar is nice. You know, simple. It's simple but nice, right? I really like the, Not much the, to complain about. The textures. Like, it's not, there was a nice layering of musical textures going on also. Yeah. Robbie, what do you think? No, I think uh, definitely the first thing that sticks out to me is is that, like Matt said, the repeating piano part there. And yeah, I, I have to agree. I think it adds a lot. And you know, you always want to be, or at least I feel you always got to kind of be careful with devices like that because they can they can be very effective. But like in in the same way that things can be very effective, they can also like be obnoxious or not work so well. <laughs> but I, I I think this one works really well. Because, like Matt mentioned, it, it has these these nice suspensions it generates with the with the harmonies, and I think it also adds a lot of rhythmic grounding to me, and, and, and gives it this this forward motion. Because I think well, that's a my lot point. of especially slower tracks, especially slower like acoustic tracks, one thing I I often complain about maybe or, or don't like about them is it's like it sounds very sleepy, it sounds too rhythmically dead, it's too lacking in energy, and I think it's yeah. not like you need a whole lot. Uh, and like, yeah, this this very simple, just on the quarter note there, I think does a lot for the harmony and for kind of adding just enough proportion to kind of the rhythmic textures. You know, that's really no, that's a that's an excellent point. And um, the sparse piano music, it it reminded me, what's that Kanye West song that opens with just like a repeated piano note? And there's a there's a meme online where they show like Kanye's piano, and it's just a piano with three keys, like three white <laughs> keys. Because that's all the opening is. Uh, do either of you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. It just it just reminded me. What was um? Do you guys remember? So did did Blink One Eighty Two did multiple members of the band sing? Who I don't know. Because what's did the, two of them sing? I feel like two of them sang. Like in some songs it was someone, sometimes it was the other. But like I don't know if you guys did. In high school there were tons of of like bands of this ilk that like cropped up on Long Island because like I don't know Long Island had like a very active kind of punk rock scene I guess okay and um I remember my friends and I in high school we would just always make fun of the <laughs> the kids who would like sing open mic nights or the bands that would play like local shows where the singers very obviously trying to sound like um Blink-182 you know where are you <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry was that was that uh was that Travis Barker That's good, or, or was that Mark Hoppus? Ooh, that I can't answer. I don't, but, I, but whoever there's that definitely was. two people that sing pretty much. There's been several members of the band, right? Like yeah. they've, they've traded members a lot, and it always seems like there's at least two people who are considered vocalists at any one any one time. Someone someone's gonna come after me if anyone is actually like listening this far. Someone's gonna come after me like God, Matt, how could you not know this? But like. I just remember for us, it was like that sound where we were like, oh yeah, they sound like a 10 times more exaggerated version of, of that. And like, it, it was almost like parodying itself. It was so right. prevalent and like obnoxious that everyone just wanted to sound like that. Or yeah, like, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think that's some, the, uh, the dream for a lot of people, right? Trying to capture, even, you're mimicking, right? You're mimicking what has been successful. There was even like a YouTube video or something around that time. It's like how to sound like, and it was a there's a parody. It's like you need first you need to sound like you just smoked an entire carton of cigarettes or a packet of cigarettes, and then you need to start almost crying, like right <laughs> on the verge of your tears. And then they this one was really funny. They're like 
all of your T's are now D's. All of your S's are now Z's. And whenever you have a vowel, it has to fry into uh, whatever the vowel is. It has to fry into like an I vowel shape. Like day. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the, you can't see this at home, everybody, but I like the, the expression that goes with it. You're really selling it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd listen to you, Matt. Thanks. That's that'll, your that'll band my, like That'll be like my Duke Silver. I'll just make like a really crappy emo band solo project. Oh fuck! I could I could probably do that. It's an art project. Oh, you wouldn't understand, oh. Mom. <laughs> Actually, when I first got Logic, like my Logic Eight or whatever, like um, at the very end of high school, I think. Sure. My my friend who was like the bassist of the metal band I played in, we we made a soundcloud called the johns because like his name is john and my middle name is john it was all like really crappy like motorcycle like country rock kind of <laughs> what and does it still we, exist we can't we can't log into the soundcloud anymore because like we forgot the password so it's um, just there yeah it's i it might still be out there actually uh i feel like we made we made like three or four songs and like one of them was called Out Late Last Night or something like that. <laughs> Good titling. Good titling. Uh, and like we would make all the hashtags like motorcycle, chain, chain wallet, <laughs> stuff, like, <laughs> stuff like that. I just love the idea the, uh... of searching for music. Hashtag chain wallet. Let's see. <laughs> Oh man, if I can find if I can find our SoundCloud, maybe it just got deleted for like inactivity. But if I can find our SoundCloud, I'll let you guys know because there were some uh, some some good tracks some on bangers there. in there. Yeah, oh that's I hilarious. Should, that that could be my Duke Silver project, just like motorcycle rock. Nice chain wallet. Yeah, music to buy chain wallets too. <laughs> did you guys have chain wallets? I had a chain wallet. I did. It, did though. you have a chain wallet? Yeah, it was fucking yeah. sick, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was that that was, I feel like that was the Kingdom Hearts group at my high school. Oh yeah. <laughs> the they were into the chain wallets. Chain wallets yeah. and like wearing three belts with like your pants, you know. And right. the really wide bell bottom jeans. I had those. Yeah, I like the very those. Yeah. Yeah. The pantalones almost. I had I even had like a studded belt. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so you knew you I was were a totally different person. Oh yeah, yeah. I had studded belt. I had like the studded uh wrist thingy and like a bunch of uh like wrist sweatbands from uh from hot topic and wow, like... nice you became the man matt i Cass if you I could... is looking at you with disgust <laughs> right <laughs> revolted <laughs> no my my sister made or sent me this meme that's like uh because my sister and i both listened to like lots of hardcore and like emo music in high school yeah and it was like first it started with the hard stuff and it's like someone wearing like a black t-shirt that says like i don't know the used or something and then the harder stuff and it's like like slipknot and slayer and they've got like tattoos and like and like uh the white face makeup with like some eyeliner mm. and then the music right. got even harder and it's like I, I don't know like like cannibal corpse like you know okay, and then yeah. and then the fourth picture it's like and then and it's someone with like a big black pink t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> wearing like all k-pop merch and she's like wow matt it's a comic that's literally for you it's how do i get the rights to your life story i feel like i guess it must have happened to a lot of people 
you grow up and you get into k-pop yeah what happens to us all yeah, it was actually, it's very, it's very difficult for me to grapple with the fact that I, I was like My Chemical Romance 10 years ago, and now I'm like, oh, you know the meme, the meme of like the really buff doge, and then like the little tiny Sheba that's like, meh. Right, right, yeah. One. Like 2007 me was like, I only listen to My Chemical Romance, <laughs> and now 2020 <laughs> me is like, I can't wait to marry my favorite member of Twice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think... That K-pop is gonna be the dad rock for millennials. Oh my god! Because <laughs> it's like that's dad a question rock, right there. Dad rock now is like the Eagles and like Steely Dan and things like that. But do you think in like twenty years it's gonna be like K-pop is like oh my dad likes that music? <laughs> well, that's like Twitter makes that joke about like every new song that comes out. It's like you're in the nursing home and it's like uh, if you play music for her from when she was young, she lights right up and then they like play WAP and it's like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was like the, the one you said Eric when I like, I posted that comic of like old lady in a nursing home in like 2087 and it's like, and ma'am what's this a picture of? and it's like a picture of a cat and it's like that's a chunk, a heckin unit could be a friend and it's like oh my god she's gone we lost her <laughs> And I think Eric was like, Eric messaged me about it. He's like, yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about how poorly our humor is going to age. Yeah, it already is, you know, like, it's such a niche thing. I mean, like, lolcats is is like cringy humor now, right? No one would make a lolcats joke. No, and yet we still do. Those will come around. They'll age like a fine wine. (laughs) Right, yeah. Right now they're vinegar, though. They gotta come back. (laughs) <laughs> their vinegar mmm <laughs> delicious don't you remember Eric we talked about this the butterfly guy the butterfly meme yeah the butterfly quickly... meme it, it, it like it was relevant like a long time ago and then it sprang back up Yeah, and now it it's like back. one of the most known meme formats I, I feel like yeah that is interesting how it does cycle and I wonder when um, the animal memes will come back I feel like you those are just evergreen about? animal memes you know or like, no, what are you talking about? I'm talking about like, you know, like awkward penguin. Oh. Or like... I don't think, well, I think they won't be the same like that. I think we could probably put those like impact font animal on a plain background memes are not going to be so popular. You don't think so? You don't think they'll like make a return? That was Where, like, like that maybe was like for the, nostalgia. The no. primordial soup of memes. You know, like right. Yeah, that was like late high school meme. Bad advice dog or something like that. Yeah, right. like, and, like uh, 10 years ago. Like socially awkward ten years ago. Socially awkward penguin. There were some other ones. Uh, there were a lot of them. There was like I one for know. every emotion, basically. And then like it it became like a bad luck Brian. Yeah, bad luck Brian. Over and... overly attached girlfriend or something. Yeah, mm. that was one. I saw she's on YouTube now. They did a thing like uh, how I became a meme, and yep. they interview her, and they also interview the the that like old white guy like hide the pain herald or something right oh yeah that's right <laughs> they interview him I, I i should watch those they look interesting internet culture yeah what a well, what a time we, to we be alive a, we got on a real tangent there yeah we still have we still have one song left yeah we still so, have another song all right bring it down for us Eric. why don't we jump into this all right so we're gonna we're about to listen to i think it's a solo project um from the artist too slim Tim Two Slim Langer, is that his last Langford? Excuse me, Tim Two Slim Langford, um, and he's actually part of a larger group called Two Slim and the Tail Draggers. 
And so I'm going to read a little bit of their bio. I can't find too much out about him like as a solo artist. So here he is in the context of this larger group. Tim Tuslin Langford is a monster guitarist and unabashed blues rocker whose influences run the gamut from Lightning Hopkins, Freddie King, Dwan Allman, and Leonard Skinner to Robin Trower. He is a prolific singer-songwriter whose songs have now yielded an impressive 13 studio, two Slim and the Tail Draggers albums, two solo albums, and several live CDs, all on his own Underworld Records imprint. I think it's a three-piece band. That's what it looks like to me. He It started originally, what I say, in Spokane, Washington, and I think they are now based in Nashville, Tennessee. Other than that, that's, there's really not too much out there, You know, not too much backstory. They've been around since 1986. Holy shit. Yeah, it's a long time, long time. I can bleep that out for you if you want, uh, Max, you know. I'm trying to keep Um, it uh, PG, just in case any future employers are listening to this. I don't want them to know that I swear. Yeah. (laughs) They'll put that in your file. Swears. (laughs) Rhymes. It's going on your permanent record. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he's he's gotten... uh, They've gotten a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2012 from the Washington State Blues Society. Uh, So they're really, it seems like they're very popular in their genre and really well known. Um, And I'm happy to have stumbled on his music. But let's listen to a little bit of Principal Serenade on the album Broken Halo from Tim Too Slim Langford. So there's a little bit of uh, Principal Serenade. And right off the bat, you know, it's, we were all having a discussion about this because I'm not sure any of us are positive. It's obviously evocative of um, ukulele, right? But it's, it's hard to place if that's exactly what it is. And then Matt, I think you were bringing up, you know, the, the upper line sounds like slide guitar, right? Or something of that ilk. Either way, we have like this beautiful pseudo acoustic song and for me and i'm sure everyone does this you know you're you're walking around you put on some headphones you're listening to some music just just taking in a stroll right and sometimes you get to acoustic tracks and you're like oh this is like cinematic like i feel like i'm someone walking around and and like a movie right like this is the protagonist walking around town with the backing track, you know, just having a lovely day. And you can see the montage going through your head, but you're really just walking around the park like an idiot, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this is what this is. It's really nice, right? And it um, it belays something like that, at least for me. What do you think, Robbie? Oh, no, I see where you're coming from. But now I'm really interested on what the Eric Black movie would be like. What would it be about? Uh, probably me walking around the park like an idiot. Speaking musically, I, I really like, I think, especially that that rhythm part, right? It, it, it accomplishes a lot with, um, you know, obviously giving us that rhythmic energy, that backing to the main line. But it also has these kind of uh, 
uh, along with giving us the chords, it also has these sort of counter melodies, right? Like Eric, I think you you pointed out that minor section at the end, da 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 da, that kind of thing. That that sort of all fit together very nicely with the simpler melodic line there. In some ways, it reminds me a little bit of I don't know. Never mind. This is a bad comparison, but. Let's just say I enjoy the way that it sort of lays out these individual parts. Starts with just this rhythm that covers, well, the rhythm, but gets the chords, gets those counter melodies kind of mixed in at the same time, and really leaves something nice for the guitar or for the main melody. What do you think, Matt? I was this time trying to really listen for the instruments, and like I think I've solidified my theories. So I feel like the rhythm instrument is a ukulele because it just doesn't sound uh, like the strings are the right material to be a guitar. They sound plastic, don't they? Yeah, they sound nylon. Yeah. And not only that, as Robbie was saying, there's like a moving line within the strums. And I think, because on a ukulele, actually it's a high string and then lower string. Anyway, when you strum down on a ukulele, you're actually strumming on a high string first. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it, I think the pitches might be wrong, but it's this configuration. It's G... C E A on really? ukulele. So like G down to a C, up to an E, and then up to an A. So like dun 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 as you strum down the open strings. Oh, and okay. I I think wow. that's how they created that like moving uh soprano line of the strum pattern, because it's a ukulele, you'd hear that first. Okay. I think. Oh, that's interesting. But uh the guitar also if it the melody instrument also really interested me because there was a recurring feature of the melody uh, that I really liked. I liked that the the melody slid into the pitches, and that was like a feature of the melody, like a hallmark of the melody. Right. Slid or or bended, maybe I don't know. Um, but either way, it like had bends and slides into the melody note, and like even like there was a da da like all on one string like pluck of the string or whatever right and i thought it was just it was just a really nice uh quality because like on a plucked string instrument you don't really think slurring you know no like you don't really think of even maybe melisma and i thought that really aided in giving it that kind of sing singing quality that song like kind of quality of 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 like song without words like sure for, for this one can you define melisma for our viewers at, or listeners at home? Oh, sure. Uh, melisma is uh, it's when you sing a word, but you have multiple pitches on that word. So instead of, for example, if you're singing a song and you have just every word has its own note, like Mary had a little lamb, right? Each syllable of that has its, its, its own pitch, one syllable, one pitch. But a melisma is more like, a, I'm trying to think of a, an example maybe everyone would know, where you're on a syllable or a word and you just go off on some crazy amount of pitches. So like, oh, okay, uh, in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it, you get to the chorus and it's Gloria or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's a really long melisma because it's like a whole bunch of scales on one word syllable. That's a so, good example. Yeah, no, that's a good example. I think that was the wrong song title, but whatever. My Christian parents can cry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. They're not listening. They're not listening anyway, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) 
actually my mom might be listening now that i got her a spotify account but mom if you're listening i'm sorry (laughs) playing a risky game man (laughs) swearing on the podcast denouncing religion (laughs) boy glove to keep things exciting though (laughs) but yeah that's that's uh that was that was the feature that really stood out to me on that second listen that there, there was a a nice compositional technique to like the, the the sound of the melody for this one. I liked it a lot. All right. Is that a... I think that just about does it. Yeah, I think all right. so. Well then, uh, why don't we move on to what we all listened to this week. Everyone's favorite favorite segment. It's why people keep coming back. Right? So it's, not, it's not the new tunes. It's the old. Whoa. Hold on. Are, are you okay, Robbie? What did you I, just drop? I dropped my mouse. Oh. Rookie move. I know. That well, was a it's... dumb thing to do. <laughs> the fuck? That's going in my file. <laughs> Drops mice. Uh... Noki, I need you to be like chill for like just five more minutes while I finish the podcast. <laughs> just hang in there. Home stretch. Home stretch. Okay. All right. While you do this, Robbie, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the listeners what I listened to this week. All right. So I listened to the Weinberg Sonata this week, and for those who don't know, um. I can't pronounce his, his first name, but Mr. Mr. Weinberg was a Holocaust survivor who fled. Um, the reason I know this, I did I did a gig or I did a performance at the Holocaust Museum in Baltimore two years ago, and they wanted a um, set that was entirely written by of music entirely written by Holocaust survivors or their direct descendants. And in the case of Weinberg, he had to flee. I think he was Austrian. I think he had to flee Austria um, and to escape the Nazis. And while he was gone, I think they murdered his entire family. But he wrote this. He was a brilliant musician, brilliant composer. Um, he ended up writing this piece, I think, in 1939, something like that. Uh, and it's it's really one of the best, I think, clarinet sonatas of the 20th century. It just, and it, I think you can really feel the pain that he went through in the music itself. And, um, you know, he, he does a really good job of putting his soul into the music, which is, I think, Matt, you would say is an incredibly hard thing to do as a composer. You know, when you're not composing with words and you really have to evoke such a terrible emotion, you know, and and really have it speak. Um, Dang, Eric, now I gotta obvious. go listen to this. Yeah, no, it's an incredible piece of music. W E I N, W E I N B E R G, and the the album I really like is from 2015. Uh, Anneline von Wow, Wow, W A U W E is her last name, but she's a, a really good clarinetist. I think she was on. I don't know how you say the staff faculty with Lincoln Center. You know, one of their artists for a while. Oh, like an artist in residence or whatever. Yeah, residence. Um, but yeah, she's a great album of, of the Sonata. I'll have to listen to it. Uh, should I go next? Yeah, sure. Yeah, why don't you go? Okay, so this week, listening to a lot of Bud Powell, famous jazz pianist, right? Sometimes talked about as the first modern jazz pianist, and especially the track Celia. That's a good one. Got a good solo. Got a good melody. Give it a shot. Okay. I promise, please, just this once. You've got to listen to me. I'm from the future. It's important. You have to listen to this track. Oh, okay. Yeah, what was I listening to this week? Uh, 
I don't know. I feel like I was just listening to my usual stuff this week. So I got, I got nothing interesting to say. G- give me, give me, give me a minute here. Edit, edit all the shit about my fat cat out of the podcast. That's okay. Mm, I'm going to take it and sprinkle it in throughout the episode. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> okay. Sure. This week I've actually just been kind of like on a kick of old movie soundtracks. Okay. And the one that I, yeah, the one that I was listening to the most, well, I actually don't know the English title of the movie, so that's not really helpful. But, oh, wait, no, I do. There's a Korean film that I watched called Be With You, or is it, I think, yeah, it's Be With You. It's based off of, like, a Japanese novel, and it was one of, unexpectedly, one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Uh, But it had a really nice soundtrack, and it's, like, doesn't seem like a very big composer. He did a really good job, very, like, heartfelt uh and it uses a lot of clarinet eric so okay. yeah the saddest I guess of all instruments it's it, true it, it was very wistful it, it it fit it very well but uh i would i would recommend the soundtrack and the movie be with you i think it was like a 2018 film all right well thank you as always for listening making it to the end there's a secret prize for you since you listened all the way that's not true but you can't like and follow us and rate the program wherever you get your podcast. We would really appreciate it. Also, follow us on Twitter at Drop Haystack and on Facebook and Instagram at Drop the Needle in the Haystack. Eric, do you want to close it out for us? Absolutely. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>